0: Hi, welcome to Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees, plus other useful things we found out about becoming a lawyer and the people that do.
1: Hi and welcome to the second episode of Not All Lawyers Career Changes, a new mini-series where we're looking at how people change careers into the law. Today I'm joined by Rachel Bell, who's still on her journey from running a construction company to becoming a lawyer, and isn't always finding it easy. At the moment, Rachel's working as a paralegal, juggling studying, financial pressures, and being a parent. And just to make it all the more complicated, she's found herself caught in the middle of the change from the LPC to the SQE. But Rachel is passionate about helping others changing careers into law via her Instagram, at LegalBell, and through her podcast, The Legal Social Club. I start off by asking her about that very podcast. Well, I have to start by saying it's amusing and also like what a privilege to interview someone else who has a legal podcast. I feel like this is one of the most niche podcast areas and yet somehow we've managed to find each other. Your podcast is The Legal Social Club. And with your friend, Jordan Goodman, that's right. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. In terms of those people that you've interviewed, what's kind of resonated for you from their stories or their questions?
2: I think the main thing is when you look at an account on Instagram, After someone's been doing it a couple of years, it can start to look a bit stylised and a bit kind of... You just think, wow, they've really Mm. got it together and I haven't. It's particularly Mm. just coming into law. And that was where I went during doing my GDL to try and find tips and things like that. What I hadn't banked on was some of these people's stories about how they'd become to be a qualified lawyer in some cases or or just a trainee. And I say just a trainee, (laughs) with it being the complete opposite of that because... Gosh, one girl that we interviewed, I couldn't believe what she'd been through in her family circumstances at the same time as trying to get a training contract. Then having Mm. a training contract, it had gone. Loads of stuff. There was another lawyer who is qualified that we interviewed who's in-house who had basically sold the idea of her doing a training contract there with her current employer, and managed to do that. And I found that really inspiring.
1: I don't know, maybe there's another podcast in the way that social media can help connect lawyers. You mentioned that you used Instagram when you were doing the GDL What sort of stuff were you finding? What resources were you looking at?
2: Mainly revision tips and condensing revision because I think with the GDL there's so much to take in in such a short space of time and if you're from a non-law background like I am it's quite hard to make this switch. I think it's so much easier if you've come from an academic degree in whatever subject just because you're used to the reading and the style of writing that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say it took me a good few months to get into it by which time we were (laughs) nearly finished so yeah it's so hard the GDL as well I mean people make jokes about it on Instagram and on YouTube or whatever you know tell your family you're not going to see them from it. there's going to be a lot of crying but there really is so you need to grab help from wherever you can because it's hard
1: yeah and so for those who don't know the GDL is the graduate diploma in law mm-hmm. that's the sort of the mandatory conversion course what's the hardest part of the GDL the volume of material
2: Yeah, I think the volume and also your interest in the material because there's bits that you might want to just have a little bit longer to read about because they're really interesting, but you can't. And also the bits that you're not interested in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah having to learn those, but that's definitely more an LPC vibe. Okay, yeah. the bit. So you're not interested in having to learn
1: them. Yeah. For me, it was trust and accounting.
2: Yeah. I actually like that. I'm no. Bit... Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Podcast finished. Yeah, yeah. We're done. <laughs> we're done here. As I said,
1: I feel like kind of access to legal information and particularly legal studies information on social media could be its own podcast. But what we're really here to talk about today with you is your pathway into the legal profession and your decision to change careers. So you started out in the construction business. You were the director of a construction business for ten years.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't obviously I didn't start out there, but yeah, I um, I did a tourism management degree, and thought oh, I'm going to go off and you know I did a, a bit of work experience during that, and then we started the business. Um, then we started another business. There was only three of us. Uh, myself my ex-husband and an operations guy so we all ran it together but it was my in my sole name and I was very 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 involved with it and I think that's a good thing finally I feel like I'm in a place where some of that experience is becoming useful because if you're me from someone like me or whatever from I don't know Yorkshire or somewhere that's outside London and you are looking to go into law, it's very, very London-centric. It's very city this, city that. And that's fine, but it's not fine for all of us because we're all different kinds of lawyers. Your current role
1: is in a facilities management company mm-hmm. where you're a paralegal. Yeah. What kind of parallels are there or what kind of skills are you finding? Oh,
2: loads of things. I mean, I've seen some of my old jobs from my company on like the database because they're working for them as well. So. In, in my company, we did a lot of facilities management. Um, so it was an area I was very, very familiar with. And even at the interview, just some of the abbreviations, like you're not going to call it facilities management. You're going to call it FM, okay. PC, practical completion of a site job and all this kind of stuff. So I think having an understanding of all these things and also having an understanding of the much faster pace of construction than law is is really important has been really useful. Yeah. Did
1: you seek that out when you started applying for legal roles like your paralegal job was that something you thought I'm going to harness my previous experience
2: no and it's so silly really because everybody I ever spoke to told me to do that Um, and me being me thought no I'm going to go in a completely different direction and uh, I'll just see what happens and I I have my eyes set on city things and all the rest of it as well but kind of northern city things um and when you say city
1: you mean like Bank in my I mind mean, like, like yeah banking well, jobs? no no yeah
2: well i suppose like no not banking. bankingsmith just corporate law yeah just yeah, yeah corporate yeah. and business law in a in a big city yeah i just fell into this but as soon as i saw the job i thought duh, 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 tick 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 oh well i'm going to apply but actually i was in spain at the time and i thought oh, i'm going to be too late i will miss it but actually there was a delay so i was put forward for it and i just i didn't want to say but I walked out the interview kind of walking on air. I thought, oh, this has gone so well. It was such lovely ladies. And I just thought it was a really good fit. So I was overjoyed when I stepped off a jet ski a day later and got off for the job. Oh, that's so
1: great.
2: That's so yeah. great. Yeah, Exhilarating in both ways. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's a bit of a, like a dream sequence. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Where were you jet skiing? Just quickly. Just in Ibiza. Yeah. So to go back to kind of your decision to make that move into the law, what inspired you? What brought about that, like, I mean, quite radical change, I guess.
2: Um, A couple of things, really. Uh, We were, myself and my partner at the time, we were discussing retirement and stuff like that. We were considering different routes of how we would wind the business down one day in the future. So that was one part of it. But then I went to a criminal trial, which I'd never seen anything like that before of a very close family friend. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was a big deal. And there was these 12 barristers there and they all stood up. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, these guys are unbelievable. Yeah. I must have missed my calling. But then I also thought about all the solicitors I've met in the business for, through various things. Um, we, we had a company solicitor that we dealt with. We'd, we'd had court things, you know, because it had been going a long time. And I suddenly thought about how much law was already involved in my job. Mm. And I just thought, well, actually, I enjoy all these aspects, even my health and safety stuff, which a lot of people would think is boring. There was so much law, there was so much European Union law about noise regulations, and stuff like that. I just thought, this is just crossing and crossing. And I've always admired those professions, doctor, lawyer, accountant, you know, those traditional yeah. ones. Yeah. So, yeah, a mixture of things, really, I'd say. And then, obviously, divorce put me over the edge I thought, well, it looks like I've got to change career now, so okay. I
1: did. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's a real, like, I guess, melting pot of, of, yeah. of reasons. Uh, with the criminal trial, I mean, I'm interested in, Advocacy, I guess that sounds like the kind of advocacy skills of the barristers is might have maybe what kind of caught your attention. Is that something that you've enjoyed doing? Is that something you'd want to pursue more?
2: I love that. Yeah, I do love all that. I, it's been a bit of a shame on the LPC because I did the whole thing during lockdown. So those oh, person to yeah. person advocacy experiences, I felt so sorry. The poor people that were doing the bar course because they really yeah. need that experience yeah. so it's been very difficult for everyone yeah I would like to do more of that but I chose the route of solicitor because I just thought well it'll be a more stable income for my children mm. um mm. because well it's it's not easy to be a barrister is it so no yeah. no I know it's not easy to be a solicitor either but it's a lot more competitive and I had a very good friend on the GDL and she said look Rachel you know You're doing okay, but you're going to be up against people that have got firsts and they've been to Oxbridge and they've been to, you know, private schools and all the rest of it. And I thought, well, yeah, you know, it hurt at the time. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I can. But then I thought, no, you probably better be realistic. And there's no reason that you can't have advocacy as a solicitor. Mm.
1: And so you've got a couple of kids? Yeah. How do you do that? How do you find that balance?
2: Very difficult. I would say that my children definitely got to a point when I was in the middle of my studies where they would say, Oh, you know, mummy, you're always doing law work. You're always doing law work. And I'd be like, I've just got to do this bit of law work, uh, which is what we all call it in this house kind of (laughs) the law. law Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's a good thing, really, because she sat on the end of my bed one day, my daughter, and she said, Wow, you work really hard, mummy. You do work really hard. It's hard. It's particularly hard on exam days or coming up to them, I think, because you've still got the school run. So you've still got that commitment that you've got to be dropping somebody at half, you know, half eight, nine at primary school, but then you've got to get back and be ready and focused to do a a four-hour exam. And
1: be in that zone, yeah. It takes you a while to get into a zone for an exam.
2: Yeah, it's been incredibly hard. I know it's going to be one of the things I look back on and think, how on earth did I get through that, any of it? Yeah. In truth.
1: (laughs) How do you think about them if they decided one day they wanted to enter the law?
2: Yeah, I'd say go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say go for it. But I I would probably be wanting to be kind of that mum that was like, Well actually if you do this, this is gonna give you a head start. If you do this, I wish someone had told me some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, don't I mean don't we all so if we kind of get onto that then, the kind of the practical nitty gritty of once you've made the decision, you, you go you go and you do the GDL and then am I right that you want a scholarship to do the LPC?
2: Yeah, I did get a partial scholar yeah, a career changer scholarship, which was great, a real boost. Yeah, well
1: congratulations because obviously a lot of these courses are really expensive and that could be a barrier mm. to entry. I know you're in the process now of applying for training contracts, which arguably is one of the toughest parts. I think for any lawyer, what would you have told yourself about this process a year, two years, three years ago?
2: I would have told myself to apply for a training contract before even starting the GDL. Mm. It took me a while to get my head around the fact that actually this stuff is two years in advance or was, I don't know. The SQE is going to change that, I hope. I did have a careers meeting and I had just moved house with both my children at the time and she basically said to me you know you well you you should really just be looking at family law and i said well i'm from a business background i'm a health and safety advisor i've you know i've i wanted to go into that because that's where i've been and she was like well you know it's going to be difficult for you to it was a really traditional view and it really well it really kind of knocked me that day to be Mm. fair um leaving the careers office and i thought oh okay uh, Maybe I should. And it kind of set me down a path that I never really should have gone down. I shouldn't have been. I should have been doing kind of looking at things like what I'm doing now mm. and looking more at the business side. But I realised pretty quickly that, one, I should have applied for stuff already. Two, I should have been fighting other students to go to the careers meetings uh, before anyone else. And I could have read and done so much more. But this is another thing about changing career. I didn't have the time to do that because... I was dealing with stuff like, you know, people getting nits sometimes, or, you know, colds or school starts. When you say people, I assume you mean your kids. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. No, they didn't, but I thought they did. So it was like, (laughs) I was, I freaked out. But these are the things that you have to deal with every day. And then, you know, moving house and my divorce and everything it was a lot so i just ran into the gdl and just thought well she'd said to me the careers advisor you haven't got really time to think about a training contract just concentrating your studies oh i wish she would have said do concentrate your studies but you've got to try and also apply for a training contract a little bit because if you don't Mm. do it now this is what it's going to mean because then that put me in the position of only really taking it seriously these applications on the lpc So then these knocks, I've had, yeah, 13 rejections. Those 13 have all been during the LPC and I've had to kind of learn and tailor the applications to even get to a stage. Well, I've I've never got past application stage, which is a real shame because I can tell myself this now. I know I've got things to offer, but I'm obviously not getting it down on paper well enough. So I'm not getting past that stage. There needs to be lots and lots Mm. of support.
1: What do you think that should look like? I
2: think there should be a specific, almost a module mm. on applying for these things. I really do, because it's kind of almost taken as read that you're going to go in, like people from a more privileged background, and I, kn- I know that they'll go and visit those type of schools, but they wouldn't have visited my school. Mm. Do you see what I mean? If they've yeah. gone to
1: yeah, a yeah, private yeah. school.
2: And I've got nothing against anyone that's gone to private school. That's great. But obviously for us coming in, that haven't had that background, you could do with a module on it. And I mean, in fact, everybody could, to be honest, because I think most people have been rejected. It's only the very, very few that haven't, at least had a couple.
1: Like how do you continue to, to be resilient? How do you continue to invest in the law when it can be really tough?
2: If I'm honest at the moment, because my daughter wasn't very well and I had to move some of my LPC exams, I have decided to sit this cycle out because I know how much it's going to upset me, how much it's going to be disheartening. Um, And I think you've got to be in a very, very strong position to get ready and go into it. Luckily, you know, I'm grateful. I'm even grateful to be working as a paralegal, wherever it goes, however long I'm there. I'm grateful that the SQE's arrived on the scene, which means that I'm not working effectively for nothing. I'm not just, I won't say wasting time because no work experience or anything is wasted. But I'm I'm glad that I, at least these months that I'm paralegaling or years, whatever it ends up being, will count towards my qualification mm. at the end. So even if I decide not to apply for a training contract, as I have done this cycle, and I think to myself, OK, in summer, all right, I'm ready, I'm going to go back in the ring. And I, you know, it literally is. At least the experience I've got through my paralegaling isn't just, oh, you're paralegal for two years. OK, well, you know, we'll we'll take you on. It's, well, actually, I'm paralegal for two years. So if I, I can choose to take my SQE2 exams, which would be more than likely what I'm going to do. You know, maybe I'm a bit of a softie and it's affected me more than other people. But again, going back to the career change point, we have, without being disrespectful to anybody, we have a lot going on because we are adults with all the stuff that comes with being an adult, like your mortgage and your children and all that stuff, as well as, you know, possibly working part-time as well. Lots of us do that. Having maybe took a huge pay cut, lots of us have done that. For this change and this dream that, you know, you get there and it's like, gosh, it's really difficult.
1: Mm. I mean, you're definitely not a softie. (laughs) (laughs) um, The SQE2s, I mean, how kind of incredible a change is that for someone in your shoes? To be
2: honest, huge. I completely dismissed it when it first came in because, you know, everybody was flag waving about the SQE1, which is great. But I was thinking, well, you know, gosh, I'm doing the LPC. Am I doing it for nothing? Blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of people, I went to a legal Cheek event. A lot of people were worried that... You know, what would their GDL and LPC mean? What would their law degree mean? Because of this new way of qualifying. And the SQE2, I knew absolutely nothing about. And then I work for an agency called Flex Legal, You know, they're very well known for paralegals, they've just won an award, they have loads of information about it as well. And then, through reading it and through things being published on the SRA website, Solicitors Regulation Authority, yeah, (laughs) thank you for that. Yes, (laughs) yeah, I started to think, right, okay, well, good, I can still qualify what they would call through the LPC route. So, admitting to the role would be as if I had. done an lpc and a training contract but actually my paralegal experience as i'm doing now would be counted as training would be counted as you know the equivalent to the four seats
1: i think we've spoken about this before when we think also about kind of practical ways into the profession
2: vac schemes the issue about vacation schemes is some firms as you know will only take on from their vacation schemes so if you can't do one You're kind of scuppered, so you you could be discounted when, you know, you might have been a good fit. Because,
1: uh, not to make too fine a point of it, but you can't afford to take the leave Mm. in that period, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on top of that, as we mentioned earlier, you've got the costs of some of these conversion courses absent, you know, like yourself, if you're lucky enough to get a part scholarship or if a firm pays for you, but they're quite few and far between.
2: And the, the part scholarship, although I'm very, very grateful for it, um you know it was a drop in the ocean because i've completely self-funded it so my gdl i put on a credit card the reality is for the six mature students that were on my gdl is they were all self-funding you know there was definitely no firms paying for it and it was kind of like if i don't get paid for this job i can't pay the next course installment you know for their other job or credit cards or loans or you know that kind of stuff my lpc after paying off my first student loan, I now have another student loan for the, um, for the LPC. Because um, I did the master's one. I feel like people don't talk about student loans. No, and they should. Particularly
1: when it comes to people who are working as well. And there's still these, you know, sizable amounts sitting on your credit card, as you say. Still a bit of a um, sort of a bit of a dirty secret of the industry, I think.
2: I agree. I completely agree. I mean, when I kind of found my little area, which turned out to be mature students and career changes and started the mature students group to hit to meet up with them every week, and hear some of the things they were going through. It really helped uh, put my stuff into perspective. You know, people had poorly parents or they were international students that were really struggling, you know, or living in horrible conditions. People really want to be lawyers um, and people are out there making massive sacrifices to do so of any age. But, you know, when you're going into it and you know it's not stacked in any way for you, that's you've got to have Some balls to carry on (laughs) and do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why I say you're definitely not a softie. What's one of the biggest challenges you faced as a career changer?
2: I would have to say going through family court at the same time because I literally kind of stepped off the court steps and went into the GDL and then it just kind of carried on. Kind of navigating a law degree and navigating the legal system at the same time. Although, it's really helped because when I did my um, dispute resolution module of the LPC, I'd already seen all the forms. I already know how it was, you know, how you have to do it. Mm. Um, what's been the best thing?
1: about being a career changer?
2: I think last year, making the decision to really throw myself out there, not be scared to be, you know, recording myself, not be scared to step on the stage at events, the virtual stage not the real stage. Um, <laughs> Still counts. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I I think last year, and I was really surprised at this. Someone said, oh, well, you know, you're a natural networker and I never I never like the phrase net- networking or or anything like that but I thought well I I do you know like talking as we can tell and <laughs> I, I do I think my previous career dealing with guys on site cleaning up assembling racking doing VAT returns you name it doing everything that was needed in a in a small to medium business has meant that I am quite happy and comfortable talking to anybody. So yeah, I'd say they're the positives and also all the people I've met. I've met all these fantastic people and I might have had, I did have probably preconceived views um, because of the kind of life I had before of, you know, younger people going into law and younger people studying. And I've met some amazing people. I've even gone on holiday with one of them. She's 21 and we're like that. We just, you know, you just wouldn't think that would happen. But I've, I've just met such fantastic people just through talking to them and just through us all doing law together and saying, oh, gosh, what about this and what about that? It's, yeah great talking about connections that you've made
1: you mentioned earlier the mature students group can you tell us a bit about that and how people might get involved if they'd like to
2: yeah well we um we we haven't met up for a while to be honest um we've just been so busy but I think we've got about 80 members now and we held you know weekly meetings but then application season here and we all got really busy then it went to monthly but you know initially it was great and I keep in contact with those people from it I would start it up again if we had loads of interest. There
1: you go. Anyone listening, if you're interested, get in touch with Rachel on probably Instagram.
2: Yeah, at Legal Bell is mine. (laughs)
1: That was paralegal, podcast host, and much more, Rachel Bell. And I'm joined now by my colleague, Joanna Pryor. Hi, Joanna. How are you going? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So, Joanna, you're a, a legal trainee in BBC Legal working at the moment in the intellectual property team. How are you finding that? I absolutely
0: love it. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant, friendly team. Very welcoming, as you will know. And the
1: work is really varied and really interesting. So, yeah, I'm really lucky. It's great fun. Oh, that's awesome. Um, And this is your first seat in BBC Legal. So the idea is that as a legal trainee, you rotate through different teams in in legal. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I think the BBC structure is quite a common structure in the industry. Mm -hmm.
0: So it's a two-year training contract, and that's typically divided into four. So four, six-month placements, in effect, with different teams. And you're studying at the same time? There are small bits of studying to be done, Mm -hmm. which actually Mm -hmm. I didn't realise until I started. Okay. Um, But I would say that's a very small part of it. It's very much that you're doing the work with people, guiding you
1: through it. I I like how practical it is. And so, Joanna, you've been in the BBC for a while. You were a journalist before you moved into legal. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So I very much
0: decided that I didn't want the working life I'd already had and the experience that I already had to just fall away. And I think I wanted to try and build on it. And also when I was thinking, well, I'm I'm an older candidate. So mm-hmm. when I'm going to be competing for training contracts, jobs in the future, what is it that I can offer if I'm up against you know, young candidates coming out of Foxbridge. And obviously the thing that I've got is my media
1: journalism background. Mm. I mean, that clearly is something that really resonated in my conversation with Rachel as well, right? That there are Absolutely. strong parallels. Yeah. In the work that she had been doing in the construction industry and now in her, her role as a paralegal at a facilities management company. I mean, she talked a lot about the strengths of utilizing that experience. And I wonder, is that something that you drew on that former experience within the BBC and kind of your understanding of media when you were applied for the trainee programme? Absolutely. I mean, I remember through the process, it's quite a long application
0: process and the final stage um, was pre-COVID and we were all meeting in person. And I remember being in that room with all the other candidates who'd got through to that final round. And I really suddenly felt like a journalist amongst lawyers. It was really quite peculiar. In what way? Because I had almost... Arrived at that point from a different end. Yeah, okay. I, at that point, actually, complete opposite to Rachel, I hadn't sat in a single law lecture ever.
2: Mm. So
0: I was lucky in that I was doing things the right way round, it turned out, by applying for a training contract before going to university. But these were people who either had law degrees or the GDL that you've already discussed, which was the route that I then went down, um, maybe even done their legal practice course already. So I I hadn't done any of that, not a day of it, not an hour of it. Mm. And yet I knew the job I'd been in for 20 years really well. So I just, I don't know, I think it's probably that, you know, you don't feel British until you go abroad. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It was kind of like, <laughs> it's oh, a good analogy. You know,
1: I just, yeah, was acutely aware of who I was and who I wasn't yet. And one of the other things that Rachel spoke about as, a, as another career changer is the importance for her of kind of the internet and Instagram and using networks as sources of information. What did you draw on? Was it kind of similar sources when you were trying to find out, how do I become a lawyer? How do I get these kind of training programs? Again, probably in contrast, Rachel, I had obviously made use of the internet and tried to work out well
0: if if I decide to do this what is it I need to do I found it actually very confusing it wasn't clear to me with what I was reading what I had to do it wasn't clear to me It is all me. very
1: confusing <laughs> it's very confusing to me as well yeah
0: and it wasn't clear to me what I could get funding for and what I couldn't get funding for so actually it was talking to real people that clarified things for me started off by speaking to friends who were in law but obviously you know they're friends of my age so their information was out of date and then I was very very fortunate because while I was trying to work this all out in my head I thought actually work experience is probably going to help me to decide if this is really what I'm going to do and commit to and we're very fortunate that within the BBC we have a system that in effect allows us to go and visit other departments and other teams and so I contacted BBC Legal just to ask if I could come along. But they then put me in touch with an individual in BBC Legal and it was a conversation with her that in effect changed changed my working life.
1: I mean it does sound again like it's one of the big tips from from your experience and Rachel's that overlaps is drawing on existing networks, drawing on existing workplaces and contacts and experiences. If you could go back and tell yourself, kind of before you started this journey, one piece of advice, practical advice that would really help, what would it be? Oh wow, that's a great question. So for Rachel it was apply early. I think she kept saying she wished she'd started applying for training contracts You know, from day one, basically. Well,
0: yeah, I guess that is the key bit of advice. She's Mm. right. And I was just really, really, really fortunate to have been given that advice from then meeting people doing my law conversion course and then the legal practice course. I realized just how lucky I was because it isn't something for whatever reason, that mysterious bit of information isn't getting through. So I would agree that is probably the single most important thing I was told.
1: Rachel mentioned career changer scholarships in our interview there and the University of Law now offers a number of full scholarships and awards for career changes. So do check out their website. There's a link in our show notes. If you're confused about the SQE like me and how it fits in with your change of career, I highly recommend our episode with Victoria Roper, which explains it all really, really clearly. Find that by searching Victoria Roper, the SQE explained. And finally, not unconnected, Siobhan Taylor-Ward, who you'll recall I interviewed in our first series, has been in touch to tell us about the launch of a grant scheme to fund those looking to get into legal aid and social welfare law through the SQE. The closing date for the first round of applications is the 17th of January, 2022. We've posted all the relevant links again in our show notes. We'll be back with a few more Career Changer episodes as part of these new series, so do keep an eye on the feed. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, Acast, and everywhere you find good podcasts. Make sure to like, review and subscribe so you don't miss out on all our new episodes. And of course, you can find us on Instagram. Just search Not All Lawyers Pod and use the hashtag NotAllLawyers. And please do get in touch. We'd love to hear your questions. This has been the Not All Lawyers podcast from the BBC's
2: legal team.